0: Welcome to the Umpiring Fast Pitch Softball Podcast. I'm David. And I'm Pete. What are we going to talk about today, Pete?
1: Today we're going to talk about the rule changes that came about in the NFHS for 2024 season.
0: So high school ball. So this oh, yeah. is a uh, NFHS episode here, episode number 21. Exactly. Uh, so let's just jump right into it. Rule cha- the first rule change is 186 permits electronic information to be transmitted to the dugout from anywhere outside of live ball area so the rule change reflects current technology and still requires that electronic devices used for coaching purposes may only be used in the dugout but does not stipulate where the video is recorded or how it is transmitted we see this in other, um in the in the nc2a area as well and it's about electronic stuff coming into the dugout and not being able to uh, record from the dugout but uh, being able to utilize electronic information that comes in so game changer yeah. Um, information that kind of thing
1: so that's as i guess yeah i'm a little confused i actually when i was reading that i thought it was going to go transmitted from the dugout or something you know i thought this was going to be related to some of the pitch calm kind of things you see in higher levels of ball and things like that so this is more about getting information into the dugout from outside the dugout and outside the the playing surface
0: yeah so let's look let's look at what what was the rule reference there? 186. 186. So let's go ahead and just pull up the rule. So section three, four. By the way, I'm looking at the electronic version of the rule book here from, what's it called? All access? Is that the, yeah, the
1: NFHS all access application on the, your app store?
0: Uh, Okay, so Article 6, Section 8, Other Equipment. Uh, During the game, the use of electronic devices by team personnel to transmit or record information pertaining to their players' or team's performance shall be permitted for coaching purposes within the team's dugout and bench area only, provided the point of origin of the electronic communication is outside the field of play. So you can't record in the dugout and use that information. In other words, a player can't have their cell phone out in -hmm. the dugout recording what's going on and then showing, um, the catcher, Hey, look, your frame is, is, you know, crazy. I remember I actually did this during a, uh, an Otterbein game. One of our catchers was, was really not getting the low pitch and, um, the coaching staff was, was kind of upset about that. And so I got my phone out and, um, recorded uh, a couple of pitches coming in and then showed where the pitch is being caught almost at the dirt and the catcher's moving it up almost eighteen inches. Yeah. And then getting mad that she didn't get the that she didn't get the strike call. So Yeah. Um but anyway, so I think that wouldn't that's not okay uh, to do that. And especially where did you record from? Right.
1: If you move behind the fence, then I, I did guess. not.
0: I was in the dugout. <laughs> yep, for sure. Shh. Shh. <laughs> yeah. So You were uh, behind the fence, I was I behind the fence you were in the, yes. with the spectators. Yes, behind the fence, for sure.
1: Yes, yeah, so that makes sense. So we're saying is If someone, some parent was recording or even, you know, some of the Game Changer information was being captured, they could load Game Changer and they could look at it in the dugout now, whereas they couldn't before. Maybe it wasn't clear that they could before.
0: Yeah, they've cleared it up for sure.
1: Yeah. Okay. All
0: right. What's the next one, Pete?
1: The next one is 323. Beginning January 1, 2027, so in the future, uniforms may only bear a single manufacturer's logo, school name, school logo, mascot, and or the participant's name advertisements messages team slogans etc will no longer be permitted
0: so this is this rule is important for coaches who might be listening you know if you're also an umpire but you coach and it's time to buy uh, uniforms i don't know how your school does it uh pete i don't know how delaware did it but i know at uh, kilbourne we only got uniforms every so often so maybe yeah. four or five years yeah, it depends I on know. your
1: booster club the right. kind of money you have available from the school system or whatever yeah that's You buy new uniforms. But yeah, to your point, uh, this is kind of a planning thing. So if you guys are planning when you're going to buy uniforms and you only buy uniforms every three or four years, if you buy one now or if you're going to buy one for the 2025 season, maybe keep these specs in mind or you're going to turn around and buy one again in two years out of of band.
0: That's right. Yeah, if you do something wrong.
1: Yeah, so from an umpire perspective, we can see this and maybe just be aware of it. But you don't have to think too much about it because you're not going to be enforcing this on the diamond for you know, three seasons from now.
0: Right. Yep. Exactly. So we'll, we'll, if we're still doing this in yeah. 2027 or 2026 uh, for the 27 season, uh, we'll bring that up again. Okay. The next one is uh, three to five removes the color restriction for headbands and ribbons. And the rationale here is that it adds consistency amongst headwear requirements for other NFHS sports. I'm not sure that as an umpire myself, I ever looked at a headband um, or ribbon and yeah. um, had a problem with it. I think ribbons, for sure, uh, up in the hair, if that's what they're talking about. Yeah. You know, ribbons in the hair, I've never never seen a problem.
1: Yeah, I don't think I've noticed one. Most people, most stuff we've done, most people have kind of followed in line. You had to really kind of be out there to kind of go against this. You know, it was, because it has to be a school color, it has to be that, you know, a neutral color. And now it's, you know, it's relaxed from that, but it's, I don't know who's wearing crazy, crazy handband colors.
0: Yeah, me too. So, um, I don't know. I don't want to say silly, but, um,
1: yeah. or petty. It could be a bigger deal, just not around here. You know, right. in central Ohio, this is less of a deal. Maybe this is a, a bigger deal other
0: places. Yeah, a lot of times they're wearing toboggans and knits, yeah, knit cats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone here is
1: bundled up till uh, until early May. All
0: right. Uh, Alright, so the next one, this one I like uh, I like quite a bit. 327 defines where a wristband with a play card or play, playbook uh, may be worn. If worn by the pitcher, the wristband with a playbook or play card must be worn on the non-pitching arm or wrist. The rationale here is it clarifies where the equipment can be worn, and I'll, I'll talk to that in just a second. But this change will prohibit wristbands from being worn on the belt. It remains legal for players to keep the wristband with a playbook or play card in their back pocket.
1: And we talked about this a little bit when uh, we took the survey. So we did an episode when the survey came out where they were trying to get our ideas for the things that they may want to address. Points of emphasis, things that need clarified and stuff like that. And we had a little discussion around that. So now that this has come out. I'm I'm not entirely certain what's against the belt wearing of it. Like what's the, you have any idea, what would be the rationale for not wanting them to wear it on the belt except that, "Quote unquote," that's not how the equipment is designed to be used. You know, which is the the ruling. You know, from the book is to say, you know, equipment needs to be worn in the way in which it was intended by the manufacturer. Yeah, um, yeah,
0: that's the old way. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the old wristband. That's the how the rule was applied. The old way. Yeah, and that's why this now clarifies it uh, because if I think if our if our listeners remember. One of the things was that some of the wristband signal systems have come out with belt loops in them mm-hmm. um, so that the the players can actually attach them to the belt, and now it is how the manufacturer says that they want it. And we actually got some some pushback a little bit from some of our friends that said, "Yeah, but that's just that's silly. It's a wristband signal system. It's supposed to be worn on the wrist. And apparently, somebody on the rules committee at uh, Federation said, "Yeah, that's right." And so the actual rule reads now, that it shall only be worn on a player's wrist or arm, and pitchers must wear it on the non-pitching arm. So it's it's not even how the manufacturer decided anymore. It's If you have a signal system with a play card, it must be worn on the arm.
1: And this is one, my fear on this one especially, is this is going to be a very inconsistently enforced rule. Because how many times I think, especially for high school, I could see this being a problem where... I'm an umpire who the rules matter, and I show up and a girl comes up to bat, you know, or I see her out in the field and the, it's on her belt, and hey, you got to take it off your belt, and get, it, get it back on your wrist, or put it in your pocket. Well, uh, the last umpire didn't have a problem with that. Like, this is going to be one.
0: Yeah, it could you know, definitely just, be that.
1: Yeah, with, with jewelry before the jewelry rule changed and stuff like that. That was one too. So, well, the other umpire didn't have a problem with my earrings.
0: Right. Yeah, if you remember when USA Ball, uh, when the USA, it might have been still ASA at the time, I don't remember the timing of it, but uh, when USA changed to jewelry was okay, as long as it wasn't uh, a safety issue, a safety concern, and we had some USA umpires making our 17-year-olds take their earrings out, Mm -hmm. their stud earrings out. For safety concerns. jewelry's not allowed. Yeah, because they could, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it was kind of silly. Alright, so moving on to the next one. 427 and 1023 E and H. The umpire may call or end a game if playing conditions in or around the facility become unacceptable to safely continue the game.
1: So this one, you know, the rationale here mentions provides rule justification when an umpire ends a contest due to unacceptable playing conditions to continue to play in addition to weather. So, maybe the rule only specifically before had mentioned weather, and that's why that was. And I guess conditions could change for some other reasons. But I always assumed an umpire could end the game. And maybe I just expanded beyond that a little bit. It, most of the time, it is going to be weather related. The ground's too wet. It's raining. You know, everyone's slipping everywhere. Pitcher can't, you know, get her foot down without falling. That's one thing. But I guess some of these other conditions include and dark. We could always end for dark, which I, maybe you kind of Correct. put in with weather or, or like some kind of uh, conditions. But. I don't know. What, are, what do you think they're thinking about here around some other safety conditions? Is this maybe unruly part? You know, spectators are getting to a certain way where player safety or umpire safety might become an issue or, you know, something else going on nearby. You know, I don't know. What's.
0: Yeah, you know? unsafe conditions. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe we can check out the playbook here. We'll, uh, toward the end of the episode, if we have some time left, we'll take a peek at the uh, casebook and see, uh, see if they've clarified that.
1: Yeah. Okay, so the next one is uh, 612C and 247. The pitcher may now have both feet off the ground at the same time as long as both feet remain within the 24-inch width of the pitching plate and the pitcher does not replant the pivot foot. A definition for a replant was added. Okay. Yeah,
0: so the rationale here, the, we're going to talk about this one quite a bit. The rule change permits both feet to disengage from the playing surface while delivering a pitch. The addition of rule 2-47 defines that a replant of the pivot foot occurs when the pitcher pushes off the playing surface from anywhere other than the pitcher's plate prior to the act of delivering the pitch. So in layman's terms, that's a crow hop.
1: Yeah. So if you think about an outfielder throwing the ball, what happens? They jump off their back foot, and then they land again on the back foot and drive, delivering the throw.
0: That's right. So
1: the way a pitcher pitches now, previously, 2023 NFHS rules, the pitcher would drive off of the pitcher's plate, dragging the back toe, landing with the front foot, and then pretty much all of their the the body's the, co- forward the contact with the ground is mostly the front foot. You know, for, once we've right. disengaged gotcha. from the pitcher's plate, uh, and so now this time a replant would be that is not the case. The back foot has left the pitcher's plate, and now the the weight is pushed to the ground again with that back foot, and we drive again. Before we get to the front foot,
0: yeah, that's a really good way to think of it, Pete. So um, let me say it same thing, maybe a little different, Um, maybe better words. No, no, not better, better, not better, different, uh, because my head works differently. Because I like the idea of the weight bearing, and so the you know the old way, we're dragging or barely dragging a toe Mm -hmm. uh, on the back foot, and then we land on the front foot. I think about my own daughter when she was pitching, and then there was hardly any weight on her back foot because she was bringing it up behind her yeah. foot. Yeah, I mean, and then she it gets would, in the air ultimately.
1: Yeah, like exactly.
0: Foot. And then has to come around to square, mm-hmm. to square up and then lands on the back foot again, but the pitch is long gone at yeah. that point. So the old way was, and, and this will be the same, but anyway, they would drag that foot and then land on the front foot and all the weight would be on that front foot. Uh, now that same thing is true. They just don't have to drag that back foot. Mm -hmm. And if they land on the back foot and there's weight on that back foot now, that's a replant and therefore... Before before the weight gets to the front foot. Right.
1: Because it would be like back foot, back foot, front foot.
0: Yep. I think it's going to be hard for some people, especially folks who aren't as... So parents whose daughters didn't pitch or, you know, somebody that didn't pay attention to the mechanics of pitching um, very much. I think there might still be a little bit of inconsistency um, in this call. And I know that one of the reasons they made the call, at least in NC2A, was that because the same same rule change in the NCAA. But um, one of the reasons was the inconsistency of the umpires calling the leap. And um, one of the other things that I've that I've heard, and actually I think it's written on the NC2A part, was that, uh, and we'll talk about that in the next, another episode mm-hmm. um, as well. But uh, is that the most pitchers did leave the ground? Anyway, yeah, um, and I, I don't. Okay, <laughs> I yeah. don't, that doesn't. Uh, I,
1: I bet if you enforced it every time, they wouldn't. Right.
0: Yeah. Because there's so. plenty of
1: pitchers. I mean, how does that trench get dug between the uh, yeah in front of the pitcher's plate in, in the sure. shape of an S? Yeah. You know, it's it's that uh, the pitchers are really dragging the toe, and yeah. there are several. They were like following said, the rules. Yeah, yeah, many that don't, and they don't get called on it. And we've seen it, and we've asked about it, or you know, from a coaching perspective, we said, "Hey, she's leaping. I don't, I don't see that." Okay, you know, right. if yeah. you're working one man, sometimes that can be hard to see because you're you getting a yeah. vertical look uh, instead of the horizontal look, where that's where the base umpire is very valuable to see see air. But yeah, I'm I'm hoping that yes, yeah, so if we now said this is the rule, I guess that in this case they've either decided that it didn't matter or they decided that they've given up trying to enforce it, and so they just if you can't beat them, join them. I'm not sure which one. Which, what do you think that the thought is here on, on why they did it?
0: Yeah, well, there was again the rationale is is not one that I'm a fan of. Uh, but they also there was also rationale in, in one of the other sanctions. I'll just say it that way. That way I don't throw anybody under the bus. You'd have mm-hmm. to go look it up to figure it out. But uh, the rationale was that, uh, and gosh, I hate, I can't even believe I'm going to say this on a live mic. But they said that it doesn't produce an advantage to be disconnected from the ground. And there, there's a couple reasons that I don't like that terminology at all. One, nowhere in the in the rule book in the past. Um, has it ever said, you know, as long as they don't gain an advantage. And yet you hear umpires um, yeah, not yeah, not call fun. the rule properly and use that as an excuse. Well, she's not gaining an advantage. Where did you see that? Where's that at in the book? Where's mm-hmm. that at? And in in now it's actually written down in black and white. So I'm not a fan of that. Uh, but second, I also, at least to some extent, uh, disagree with it. Being, again, the parent of a pitcher and then a coach for years, I can tell you that... Anytime that I've complained about an opposing pitcher leaping and then them fixing it, the pitching got worse when they fixed it. So whether the advantage was over the not losing contact or the advantage was she was taught that way and practiced that way, Mm -hmm. um, but it was against the rules. So she definitely had an advantage uh, when she was leaping because when she was made not to leap, pitching got worse
1: yeah maybe the only way she threw as well as she did is
0: because of the leap yeah Yeah. so anyway i'm just not a fan of that uh what i am a fan of now though is you know it's fine go ahead push off leap i think if there's if there's something we're gonna have to get through a season of it here to see how bad the replant calling and not calling happens and then i think uh you know that the the leaders the trainers the clinicians you know we may have to try to figure out a way to To help us, umpires think about replanting and how it works. I like I like the way that you brought up with the the idea of the weight on the foot. You know, if it's bearing weight and she still has the ball, that's replanted.
1: You yeah, know, pretty and much the timing so. of it. So you think about pitching as a fluid motion. You know, they push and as they go, you know, their arms drive forward, uh, and then you know she comes as she comes around the clock. We'll say you know she's coming around into the circle, the windmill motion, and she comes forward to land the replant. The timing on that would be so odd, you know, because you, you're going to push, right? And then you really don't start the arm timing until you would replant because you're really driving again. You know, so it's yeah. I, it's it's kind of obvious to see. I think when I've watched any videos I've watched where someone's replanting, it seems very delayed. You know, so it's the the pitching seems out of sync. It seems a little off. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, some people can start to see that it is. It is an uncommon thing, at least in in games that I've watched. I have not seen replanting. No one's asked me. Oh, I think she's replanting. You know, it's not even been one of those things. It's it hasn't happened often. So I think it's much less common than leaping yep. overall, obviously. So hopefully it won't be an issue. Yeah, I
0: would agree. Uh, and the men have been doing it for right. years. Yeah. Yeah. So some umpires that if you do men's fast pitch, um, you'll you'll see it, and you have been seeing it for years. But. All right. Uh, the last rule change here is six two two. Pitchers can only use dirt, powdered rosin or comparable drying agents that are listed on the USA Softball Certified Equipment webpage to dry the hand. Uh, So this clarifies the difference between tape and other non-approved substances on the pitching hand and fingers versus the use of approved substances under the supervision and control of the umpire. So So this
1: seems similar to what it was, right? I guess you're saying, as it mentions, it clarifies the difference. But yeah, I mean, this is, they didn't add anything that you could do that I'm not aware of, right? They didn't.
0: Except they said you can use whatever's on the USA Softball's list because now there are some towels, uh, Gorilla towels. There's
1: so the inclusion uh, here is that we're allowing what USA Softball allows, and that's correct. The and okay. it's on a
0: on the list there, so uh, we could, we'll look that link up for you and, and put that in the uh, on the episode as well.
1: All right.
0: Uh, editorial changes—we we don't cover those ever, but I do since we have some time left in our session here. Twenty Twenty Four Softball Points of Emphasis. Uh, I do want to talk about these a bit. And so there is going to be a little bit more information about the replanting piece. Uh, but game management is one of them. Unacceptable conditions is one of them. Um, unreported versus illegal substitutions. Uh, so those are fun. And then uh, pitching mechanics in the replant. I also saw in a an online version of this, maybe it was the, the OHSA White Book, I think. So mm-hmm. a point of emphasis for us in Ohio this year. From Jerry Fick and team is an, a point of emphasis for mechanics, and specifically, he was talking about the the mechanic of setting up in the slot and being consistent. Because if you don't set up the same, um, your strike zone is a little different yeah. each time, and so you have to do that. As I read that point of emphasis, I, I thought to myself, "What? Well, so is that a is that a situation for me?" And I and I would say that probably when I first started, early on in my umpiring career I may not have been consistent with with my stance where's where's the slot where's the but years of clinics and paying attention to you know your right ear on on the catcher's left ear your Mm -hmm. right ear on the left edge of the plate or you know whatever works for you whatever you've been told that works for you just be consistent about it and then if you go to to some some clinics where you have some upper level um, advanced umpires um, helping to tweak you know what your what your stance looks like. You mm-hmm. know, pay really close attention to them, and then just just stay on that. So I, I would say I feel like I'm fairly consistent when I set up in the slot. I've had some feedback where if I switch sides, you know, so I get a lefty up, I might not have as good of pelvic alignment on the for a left-handed batter as I do on a on a right-handed batter. So I pay attention to that. Yeah. Um, but I'm pretty sure my setup is similar. It's not an exact mirror. But, uh, and another reason that it's not exact mirror complete and total sidebar here. <laughs> I'll get off my soapbox, I promise. But another reason it's not a complete mirror is a lot of times those lefties are slappers and their stance is taller in the box and their mm-hmm. elbows are in the way. And I can't see the, the ball come out of the pitcher's hand. Yeah. So I have to move so that I can see the ball all the way uh, to and through the zone. And so it's a little different on that side as well. Anyway, let's, uh, let's jump in the rule book and. Take a peek at these points of emphasis and and what they're saying about that. So the first one, game management. Coach and umpire communication should be conversational, not confrontational. Passion for their team is often the root of fiery responses from coaches about plays or rulings that they felt went against their team. I got a couple of things about that. As an umpire, it's important to balance an understanding of of the passion that coaches hold for their teams and the sporting expectations of education-based athletics. Um, there's been there has to be a mutual respect for each other, and the professionalism is imperative to have a successful game. Listening to un, listening to understand a coach's issue so you can properly respond to their concerns is a huge part of diffusing the situation. Uh, so before we go any further, there a couple of things. Um, couldn't agree more. Everybody has a job to do here. Those coaches' job is to advocate for their players. The some umpires, uh, I can say most of the umpires that I know feel. Exactly the same way. Our job is to uh, be fair in our arbitration of the of the game. You mm-hmm. know, so we want to make sure that the players have a have a good contest. In order for that to happen, there has to be a fair application of the rules. So uh, we're we're after the same thing, uh, but realize everybody has a job to do. When when you have that bang bang play, half the people at that site are excited yeah. about the outcome of that. And the half, other half, not so much. Thank you blue <laughs> Yeah. So. Um, every time you have a close one, the people that were impacted negatively are not going to be happy and, um, that's just, that has to be okay, you know, uh, until it's not until they take it to a place where it's not. So, uh, the other thing in, even in my professional career, for those of you that know, I'm, I own a consulting firm, software company, and, uh, we say all the time that our job is to listen, to understand, not listen, to respond. Mm-hmm. you know so listen listen to hear what what their concern is, and uh, make sure that you tailor your response accordingly and appropriately and that 's not just don't answer the wrong question you know you, you think somebody somebody's going to come out and argue about one thing and then they have a completely different question you know and you 've already answered the wrong the wrong question you know you don 't yeah. want to do that either, but also just just hear what they hear what they're saying you know I'm, I'm reminded of one where Tom and I were um, at lasers, and the bench coach uh, I think it was a pitching coach for for one of the teams really felt that there was obstruction at the plate and I was at the plate I was watching for obstruction Uh, the catcher played it perfectly sat up in front of the plate you know received the ball moved into the to the to tag the runner you know Mm -hmm. and she was in front of the plate when she had the ball but she wasn't set up there until she had the ball so I was watching for it and I saw it and there wasn't any you know and the runner was out and the the bench coach was very adamant that there was obstruction and Uh, It was a close game. They needed to run to score, you know, so the third base coach came down to ask me about it. And, you know, I got with Tom and, you know, we said, no, it was not obstruction. He wasn't happy, but Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we did it right. But we listened to what he had to say. Maintaining a calm demeanor when speaking to the coach also often helps to lower the temperature of the conversation and assists in having a more meaningful discussion. Another helpful tool for the umpires utilizing rules book terminology to help keep discussions on topic and achieve resolution more quickly.
1: Yeah, we, we, we've mentioned this several times at somewhat of the lawyerly nature of the wording sometimes in the rule rulebook. Uh, you know, this, the people probably spent a lot of time wording it. They use this word instead of that word for a reason. So if you use that, it's because of intentionally, and, and you see they tweak this constantly, is to remove the ambiguity, to, to definitively address the point in, in play. Uh, so when you use the rule book's terminology you're repeating back these phrases that have been tested and thought about over and over regarding the play that you're discussing or regarding right. the rule or the you know or the behavior that you're discussing so when you do that you're just you're doing that not only to be clear and to convey the message but you also are showing a good competency so later when the guy goes and digs in his backpack and gets out the rule book to, you know, maybe because he's going to show you after the game. And then he sees it's just literally, it's like someone brought a dictaphone to the, yeah. <laughs> to the plate and showed what it was you did. And he goes, Oh, okay. okay.
0: Yeah. You actually used those words. you right. know? Yes. Yeah, so I actually said to you, coach, she did not impede the progress of the runner. Oh, those are the words that are typed in black and white right here in the book. Oh will be mm-hmm. darned. Yep. Uh, and then the other one is to stay calm. And, um, I can tell you that this is a, a huge, huge advantage for those of us that that can do that, mm-hmm. um, I think you know my history, my my professional history has allowed me or afforded me that uh, that skill. Yeah, so the military, law enforcement kind of I've things. actually yeah. had people yelling in my face, and sir, you're going to need to back up, coach. I need you to back up, coach. Well, I'm happy to talk to you, but you're going to need to back up. <laughs> you know, yeah. and this guy's screaming in your face. You know, where. Other umpires have said, Oh god, I'd have tossed him. I'm like, well, and he may end up getting tossed, but right now he's just excited. You know. Right. And so we're gonna try to we're gonna try to calm the situation down, get a hold of it here, which is essentially what they're asking us to do in game management. So Pete, how are we doing on time? I'm guessing we're gonna pontificate on these for a while. Yeah, we're
1: approaching, we're getting close to 25 minutes, half hour.
0: Yeah, so let's go ahead and save the save the other three because unacceptable conditions is one of them. And we talked about that kind of at length and, and said, you know, what were they thinking? So I think we're going to get some good information out of that. Uh, unreported versus illegal substitutions has, has some meat on it as well. And in the, the replant piece as well. So let's go ahead and, uh, and wrap this one for today.
1: All right. Sounds great. So until next time. Thanks everybody. Thanks.